What is up, what is up, what is up? Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show. It is Monday, November 6th. I'm your host, Mitch Davis, founder of the MitchDavisShow.com, podcast host of the Mitch Davis Show podcast. You can follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight, Instagram and Facebook by simply typing in the Mitch Davis Show and also check out the website at themitchdavisshow.com. It is college basketball season, or as us in the media call it, crossover season. And on today's podcast, going to be joined by the one and only Mr. SEC Basketball himself, Blake Lovell from Southeastern 14. He's going to be joining me momentarily to talk about all things Southeastern Conference basketball, in-depth analysis of each and every team in the Southeastern Conference. We did part one a couple weeks ago. This is part two for all of you SEC basketball fans. Again, I'm your host, Mitch Davis, founder of the MitchDavisShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter, MitchDavis underscore eight. I want to welcome Blake Lovell back on the Mitch Davis Show for part two of the SEC basketball preview. Blake, uh, it doesn't seem possible that basketball is starting on Monday night. How are you doing? Yeah, doing well, Mitch. Good to talk to you again. And yeah, it's here. And, um, you know, I, I think it's opening night slate, as many people have always said, it be nice if sometimes we had a better slate from top to bottom but i also understand in this era of transfers sometimes for your coach you just want to ease into things because um you know you, you got a lot of new players with transfers and freshmen and all that and it's kind of changed uh you know the way it used to be where you kind of knew you had the same guys coming back every two or three years and you'd have to keep guys there forever and so yeah it's um but it's here and uh we'll see what happens Blake, let's talk about some of these early <clears throat> matchups in the SEC. Uh, you got Georgia and Oregon on November 6th, Auburn and Baylor, Mississippi State, Arizona State, uh, Georgia, Wake Forest, AM, Ohio State, Florida, Virginia, Alabama, Indiana State, Missouri, and Memphis and Tennessee at Wisconsin. Which of those matchups are you most excited about to start this basically the opening week of college basketball? Yeah, I mean, I think those are the ones that probably are just kind of the most interesting just from a you know, opponent standpoint, but also just kind of what you see from it. I mean, I know there's probably one game that sticks out on there. People are like, wait a second, does Alabama, Indiana state really fit in with the others? But to me, it's, you know, I think Indiana state's a, probably a top four team in the Missouri Valley. I think Alabama is a team that, you know, I'm curious just to see how they look. Cause it's a different team than last year, you know, we're number one overall seed. And now you've got a team that's structured a bit different. And so, yeah, I think that's why I would throw that one there. But I mean, I think overall, of that group, I mean, probably <laughs> may not be the highest scoring game. Tennessee, Wisconsin is, you know, one that I think is just very interesting for a lot of reasons. Because uh, I, you know, I picked Tennessee to win the league. And I think it's one that, you know, again, you kind of know what to expect from Wisconsin at this point, right? I mean, you're getting a team that's going to be very proficient defensively. Uh, both teams are going to be great defensively. And so um, that's maybe kind of a rock fight type matchup, but it, it's still one that it's big, you know, this early in the season. And I think Auburn Baylor is interesting too, because, you know, Auburn's a team that I've seen some different opinions on. Um, you know, I'm curious to see if they shoot the ball better this year, which I think they can given the roster that's there. But yeah, those are probably two that, that stand out the most. But I say that, I mean, Missouri Memphis is fascinating for a lot of reasons. Missouri trying to kind of build off of what they did last year, you know, under Dennis Gates. And I mean, Again, it's a different team than they had last year. A lot of new faces, but it's a big opportunity, um, you know, to have a game like this against Memphis. They didn't play their first big test of the season, 
you know, until what was it? Probably the Kansas game last year. That's probably one I'm forgetting, but um, you know, they kind of played an easy slate to sort of ease into things, but yeah, I mean, this is a big game, you know, week one to, to play Memphis in your building. And so that one, and it, Florida, Virginia, let's not discount that one either. I mean, we know what Virginia can do and Florida's hoping for a bounce back, you know, year and Todd Golden's second season. So yeah, th- those four, which I'll probably give you something on every one of them, but it's like, I think those four are uh, interesting for a lot of reasons. So Blake, I brought you on to talk about <clears throat> team previews and kind of do the over overview of the teams. But I want to ask you, we're going to go, I know people are going to get mad about this, but we're going to do East and West because that is the only way that I look at the SEC. I don't care what anybody has to say. It is East versus West. It is what it is. We'll start with the East, looking at Tennessee. They went on the road to Michigan State uh, last weekend and got a really good win. What are you seeing out of the Volunteers? What do you expect to see out of the Volunteers in the 23-24 season? Yeah, I think they'll be better offensively, and I think that's what we've always been asking for is just more consistency on offense. I think you'll get it with this team because, you know, Dalton connects there, and, you know, everybody saw, like, the highlight reel play he made against Michigan State. But I just think overall they're going to be better, adding Jordan Ganey to, you know, Vescovy's back, James is back. I think Toby Awaka will be a better offensive player. He's kind of that breakout guy that everyone has circled, um, you know, in the post. And so I just think Tennessee is the most complete team if you just, you know, put all the, the, the pieces together and you look at the skill sets. I just, I think on paper, they're the most complete team and it's just a deep roster. Um, you know, they've had guys like James and Vescovy who battled injuries and all that. And of course, Ziegler is still out, but when he comes back, you know, that adds an all SEC guard to the mix, first team guard. And so uh, you combine all those things together. There's the experience of that trio of Vescovy, Ziegler and James, not another team out there in the SEC that has three guys that have played that many minutes together, um, you know, and, and I think it's it's just one of those things where they've had success and we know how kind of good they can be defensively, but I think they're going to be much better offensively, and I think that's probably the difference this year. We touched on it in the first interview we did a couple weeks ago, but is this a Tennessee team that finally gets across that threshold, gets to the Final Four for the first time in school history? You better, better hope so if you're Rick Barnes because I think it's – one of the better teams he's had there, um, you know, as we always say, bracket's important. But I, I, I think this is—I don't want to say it's the most complete team because I—it's probably hard to ever replace that Grant Williams Admiral Schofield team of several years ago. But um, they got a good shot, you know, depending on the bracket and all that. I just think that they've got the pieces, and you have to have experience. They got a lot of experience. They're an older team, like I said, played a lot of minutes together, and if some of these breakout candidates like Awaka connect. If they are what we think they can be, yeah, they, they got a real good shot. Looking over uh, just north of them in Lexington, obviously, we I don't know if you heard Coach Cal last night ask Kentucky State not to uh, run a zone against the Wildcats because they have not practiced it. Are you concerned at all about this Kentucky team, and, and what are you hearing out of Lexington right now? Well, I mean, I think the concern would be when you have two big guys that have foot injuries, um, you know, that, that's always a concern. And I think, you know, the Bradshaw and Yenso injuries, you know, I think those are two guys that are different players. But, I mean, Bradshaw, most people expect just to come in and start right away. And I think just kind of waiting to see how that pans out. Um, you know, I think it's trending in the right direction. Like, he's going to play sooner rather than later. It's just, again, you never know when you have those kind of injuries before a guy plays game one. And, you know, it is a big man. And so you're always worried about that as a seven-foot-one guy. Um, but if he's good to go, which I think he'll be ready soon enough. Um, yeah, I mean, it's another team that you could look at and 
say this could be one of Cal's better teams there. Um, Justin Edwards might be the number one pick in the draft next year. Uh, DJ Wagner is tremendous guard. I mean, there's a lot of guys that you just look at this roster up and down. Front court, depending on how some things pan out, you know, you've got the big transfer kid too. Uh, I said I'm just going to call him Big Z because I know I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, um, at least at the start. But, yeah, so I think you, you kind of do it by that. You look at the front court and say, all right, maybe there's not enough depth there right now, but if everybody's healthy and ready to go, then the depth just, you know, they got plenty of depth at that point. Um, you know, Trey Mitchell comes in, that's big too, but their, their guard group is what I'm most interested to see because I think they could be spectacular uh, just with, you know, guard perimeter play, all that, and Antonio Reeves, of course, is back. That was huge. If they can shoot the ball better, Kentucky's going to be hard to beat, but it's always a wait and see. And it's not, it's not even sometimes how they're going to shoot it better. It's Cal going to let them shoot it because um, his offense hasn't always been predicated around three-point shots. And so, yeah, I, I really like this Kentucky team. Uh, I picked them, I picked them fourth in my preseason SEC rankings. Um, had them behind Tennessee, Arkansas, and A and M. But look, that that tells you they're good enough to win the league because I, I think that's probably where my cutoff would be right now in terms of just those four teams. I think are on their own little tier, um, and then I think there's a little bit of a you know step behind them after that. I want to ask you about Dennis Gates and the Missouri Tigers? Obviously, one of the <laughs> most, more tougher opponents to face in the SEC. What are you hearing about Missouri? How excited are you about this Missouri team? Because, Blake, I'll be honest with you, other than Missouri fans, I don't feel like a whole lot of people are giving Missouri enough credit heading into the season. No, and, of course, that's, you know, rinse and repeat. That was the same way last year, um, as we know, and we saw what happened is, you know, Dennis Gates came in and was, you know, just put it all together. He pushed the right buttons, and I think the difference is, look, there's not a Kobe Brown, there's not a Des Moines Hodge on this roster, and I think that makes it a little easier to, maybe not give Missouri a lot of credit uh, because those two guys were, as we know, just huge in terms of their success. And, you know, they rate no in games. I think they were decided by five or less points last year. So it's like at some point that average has to come back to the middle where you're not going to win all those games. And, you know, and I think it's fair to question, are they going to shoot it as well as they shot it last year? Are they going to be as efficient offensively as they were without Kobe Brown, without the Moy Hodge? DeAndre Golston was, you know, a good guy too in terms of scoring. So, those are all questions, and they have to be better defensively, rebounding, all that. So if you, you combine all that together, I can see why people are lower on Missouri this year, even with them kind of coming out of nowhere last year and having the success they had winning 25 games. Um, but I still think, you know, Dennis Gates' best attribute, he's proven this throughout his career, is building a roster that's, that is successful. And he did it last year. People weren't like, oh, they got all the top five stars. No, he built it the way he knew he needed to build it to win games in the sec and they did it their own way um and i think this is kind of one of those things now where you put your trust in him that he's done the same here even if it's you know you're banking on a lot of guys to hit a different ceiling than we've seen before from them whether that's tamar bates from indiana john tanjay colorado state um you know caleb grill at iowa state these are all guys that are accomplished but it's just now they got to do it in a missouri uniform uh and you know getting nick honor back getting noah carter back huge uh, in that regard you know we've got some other guys which connor vanover forgot to mention him he's back in the sec for a second go around started at arkansas but anytime you got a seven foot three guy to the roster that can step out and shoot and it can block shots that's a nice thing to have for a team that struggled defensively last year so i'm still pretty high on missouri i think you know would i put them in the top five like they finished last year probably not but i do still think they're they're for me kind of that probably team that defines like the borderline of 
who makes the NCAA tournament, who doesn't. So whether that's Missouri finishing seventh, eighth, something like that, I think that's realistic, realistic expectation to start the season. I want to ask you about South Carolina and Vanderbilt kind of combine the two. Obviously, South Carolina almost lost the other night to Wofford in an expedition game, and Gamecocks had to surge back and get that win. But are you concerned at all about South Carolina and their ability to compete in the SEC this year? Yes. <laughs> trying to be nice about it, but yes, I probably am. Um, I The thing is, is I think their roster is better than it was last year. Um, now, can you say that without a Gigi Jackson who was just a stud freshman? It's hard to say that, right? But complete overall roster could be better. Could be. I'm saying that maybe. Um, they brought in some good guys, and I think it's, you know, Talon Cooper, Miles Studi, who was at Vanderbilt. Um, you know, they've got some decent players on the roster, but again, it's like Gigi Jackson could carry them at times last year, um, and yet they still struggled to win games. And so, I don't know, man. It's just, I think, I said it from the start, I think Lamont Parrish just started further behind. I'm not blaming him for that. I think he started further behind than, than most of the new crop of coaches that started last year. And so, I always thought it would be a multi-year process for them, um, and I just don't think they turned that around this year. I think they're really going to really going to struggle because um, I just don't, again, you, you have to compare rosters. And sure, they were competitive in some games last year, but they were also blown out in some games last year. Uh, but give them credit. They, they, it's kind of deceiving because they remember they had a lot of close calls last year. You know, they lost Arkansas at home by two, lost at Georgia by three in overtime, um, you know, lost at Vanderbilt by five in overtime, lost against Alabama at home in overtime by a couple points, uh, Mississippi State by six on the road, Ole Miss by six. So it's like, if you think about that, I mean, they weren't that far off last year, but it's just hard to be. It's hard in this league, I think, when you have a roster that still, I think, you know, you need everybody to overachieve, and that just that's not going to happen. Like, and so, I think that's probably the. It's a rough starting point. I think um, when you're comparing them, I think Vanderbilt's got a, a bit more upside for sure because they've got two All SEC type guards and. Ezra Magnon's back. Tyron Lawrence is back. Um, I think Colin Smith has a breakthrough sophomore year. And look, I think going back to what I said about Dennis Gates, I mean, Jerry Stackhouse, you just kind of give the benefit of the doubt to at this point. I know it was a struggle early on, but you remember what he took over a team that hadn't won an SEC game, you know, the previous season and the past couple of years though, you know, they go 19 and 17, 22 and 15 last year, went 11 SEC games in a pretty tough league. And, Yes, they lose Liam Robbins, their best player. They lose Jordan Wright, an essential part of that success. But, again, I kind of think you give the staff the benefit of the doubt that the guys they brought in, um, they get the most out of their players. I think they do a great job of player development, and you know they usually get the most out of what they have. And, again, it's not going to rival Kentucky's roster by any means or anything like that, but they, they get what they have out of their guys. And, and so I, I think it's one where you can be optimistic if you're a Vanderbilt fan. Uh, about them getting back into that NCAA tournament conversation. Uh, although, you know, they're going to be picked lower by a lot of people, but it's just, you got you got to put somebody one through 14, right? And you just preseason, you just have to compare rosters and one through seven. Are they as talented as probably eight, nine teams in front of them? Probably not, but not always about who's the most talented. It's about what you get out of what you have. And they've done a pretty good job with that the past couple of seasons. So. What does Vanderbilt have to do to get to that next level? I mean, look what they did in the SEC tournament. You and I were both there. They stunned Kentucky on Friday night. 
They've had Kentucky's number the last, what, three three to five years? What does Vanderbilt have to do next to get to that next level under Stackhouse? Well, they've got to recruit better. I mean, that's, I think, but but you say that, right? And it's like, well, what does that mean? Um, because recruiting, we know, is such a, it's an NIL-driven thing. It's not even just about, you know, hey, it's Vanderbilt, or hey, it's this or that. It's it's NIL-driven. And so, do I think Vanderbilt is have a curve on that? No. <laughs> like, I think Vanderbilt probably a little behind still when it comes to, you know, NIL opportunities and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm not blaming Jerry Stackhouse for that. That's a, yeah, but I mean, I, I think it's, again, more of like an institutional type thing where, as you know, too, there's just always limitations at Vanderbilt. And so that's it, probably, Mitch, in the easiest way to say it. Like, they just, it comes down to recruiting, comes down to NIL and those kind of things. And, you know, the better traction you can get on that, the better chance you can have a chance to succeed in this league, specifically with all the other coaches you're going up against. I want to finish up the East with Florida and Georgia. And kind of kind of a unique question, but we see what Mike White's doing on the recruiting trail right now. I mean, this dude is bringing in some heavy-duty recruits at Georgia. Who is in the better position right now to compete, not only right now, but in the future, between that rivalry of Georgia and Florida? Yeah, I mean, you know, I still think that's a good question because I think Georgia – Having a coach like Mike White who's been in the league as long as he has, I think that gives you a little bit of a, an advantage because he's been here and he understands what it takes, you know, and the kind of the level that you have to, year in and year out, be at to be successful. And, and look, that's why he didn't make it at Florida, right? That's one of the reasons why he got fired is they couldn't meet that standard year in and year out. Um, and Todd Golden's going to face that same pressure now. I mean, like I said, I th- that was a disappointing start to their campaign. I'm not That's not knocking Todd Golden's coach. It's just they expected a lot more than a 16 and what 16 or 17 season. Like they expected to be much better than that. Uh, and injuries played a role there too. Colin Castle getting hurt and not playing the final stretch run that, that impacts your season because they were right there in the NCAA tournament conversation. Uh, but I think Florida still has the bit, I think the better upside overall um, because I think, I don't know, resources, those kind of, I, I still think Florida's got the, the higher upside, but you know, again, Mike White's been around the block. Like, he knows what you have to do. And I think, clearly, like you said, recruiting-wise, look at what he's getting. I mean, there's clearly an uptick there. Like, there is a positive trend that's happening. And people have always said, we well, can't win at Georgia in basketball. Well, that's not – that's been debunked in a lot of places now. Like, you know, that just – in this area, if you got money and you're willing to put the resources into it, you can win anywhere. Um, and so – and Mike White, he's won. He just didn't win to the level Florida fans expected. So – I think, and we saw it, right? I mean, that's a program that won six games a year before last. Felt like a total of just mess that they were sitting in. And now they come in last year and win 16 games to start off, you know, the tenure there. And so, yeah, I think both programs still have a, a very high ceiling, uh, but I think Florida's would still be higher. It's just that I think Mike White can probably raise Georgia's a bit from what it has been for sure. Like now we get to talk about the West, and to me the West is a little bit easier because you can do it by state. You get you know multiple teams in multiple states. Want to ask you first? We'll we'll start in Mississippi with Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Obviously, Mississippi State's going to be without Tolu for till mid January. What we're yeah. hearing, I mean, could be longer. Um, what do you expect to see out of Mississippi State early on, and, and how can they salvage? I, really, I, truthfully, I think this is the most cursed athletic department in the SEC right now. Yeah. Um, what do I expect? I I wish I knew because 
And I think there are a lot of people out there. We know how this works, Mitch, unfortunately. It's like you take a player like Taylor Smith, you take him off the roster, and sometimes the bias can set in a little bit. Where it's like, oh, we'll be fine. <laughs> okay, well, that's great. That's great to think. But at the same time, you know, that guy's probably getting SEC Player of the Year votes, um, you know, if he's completely healthy. And you take him out of the equation on a team that was already – a bit of a struggle offensively, probably putting it nicely, right? I mean, they were 176th in offensive efficiency, 100 or 328th in effective field goal percentage. They were the worst three-point shooting team in the country, one of the worst free throw shooting teams in the country. Combine all that together and you take out your player that averaged the most points, I don't care how many guys you got coming back. That that impacts what you do on a night in night out basis. And so that's a huge thing because now teams, I mean, what, if your teams and you guard them now, it's like, I'm just going to dare them to shoot even more like, because you know, you don't have to worry about the best offensive player in there. And I, I like some of the guys they brought in. I I'm a huge Chris Jans fan in terms of what he does, like coaching huge. But again, I mean, it's, it's a team that was already still going to have some offensive limitations, even with Tony Smith on the floor. Now you take him out of the mix. I don't know what to expect. And I don't think I'm being unfair like, I'm not going to say they're going to be the you know 12th place team in the SEC or anything, but I will say like I moved him down quite a bit because of the uncertainty. Like you could say he'll be back in mid July or mid January. It's like I don't know that for sure. And what do they look like by the time they get there? Right? Like if they just completely struggled to find anything offensively. Remember too, defensively, they're a top ten defensive team last year. What? Why? Right? One of the reasons why? Well, he's not on the floor, and so you know, so all those things combined, I just. I like some of the guys that are returning. They've got experience, and they're one of the teams that kind of has the luxury of bringing back as many guys as they do, and they've added some nice guys to the mix, but they're going to have to play different. And I would trust Chris Jans to figure out what that is, but I, I, you know, I'm not going to be as optimistic as I was before because before I could have made a, probably a hard you know, argument that they're a top-five team in the league. But, but am I going to do that right this second until I know exactly when he's coming back? If it's early in SEC play, they'll be fine. If it's middle of SEC play, I mean, their opening schedule, I looked at it, and I mentioned this to someone. They start at South Carolina, but then they got Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Florida, Auburn. I mean, probably at least five of those teams are SEC team or NCAA tournament teams. You know, and so now we know they started the season <laughs> was it one and seven in SEC play last year, and they managed to turn it around to get to the tournament get to the play-in, but I don't know. It's it's just hard to see that same scenario without Tulu Smith, so hopefully he's back sooner rather than later and ready to go. If he is, I'll reset my expectations on Mississippi State. Looking over in Oxford, obviously, Chris Beard is really, truthfully, I think nobody has given them enough credit for what Chris Beard can do at Ole Miss. Are you a believer in the Rebels this year? Are you a believer in that they're going to shock the SEC in year one? I would have been if they had their entire roster available. Um but I think without Brandon Murray and Musa Cisse, I just think it completely caps the ceiling much more. Um, you know, with them, I could make the argument that they're a team that cracks the top five and, you know, in the SEC, not nationally. But um, I could have. And we did that this summer. Like, we were all in on Ole Miss this summer. We said, let's just assume everybody's available. Where would we put them? We put them as high as three. Like we said, hey, this this could be the team that just completely shocks everybody. Um, and so, 
offensively, without Brandon Murray, I think it's just, oh, it's like if you just had a Brandon Murray on the roster, already played in the SEC, scored at LSU, scored at Georgetown, man, it would be significant because now you've got someone to really compliment Matthew Morrell and Jamie Brakefield. But, you know, a lot of that scoring load now still falls on them, just like it did last year. And so defensively, do I have a lot of questions? No. It's a Chris Beer coach team. They're going to play defense. Whether they like it or not, they're going to play defense. Um, he's won everywhere he's been, like you said. And I think it's – if you just – look, if you had to just take one team, you're like, you have to pick one team all on the line that's going to overachieve in the bottom half of the league. You're probably going to pick Ole Miss just because of their coach and all the success he's had. That's probably the safest pick. Um, but – you know, I would love to see that with a full roster and be a lot more confident in it because, you know, maybe not the deepest team without those two guys, but yet Jamarian Sharp comes in. I mean, you know, tallest player in the country. He's going to block every shot that comes in there. I mean, he's just going to, you know, he's going to impact every shot probably. <laughs> like if he's around the ball, he's going to impact the shot. And so defensively, they'll be fine. I want to see what they look like offensively. Um, but still, could they be a sleeper team? Absolutely. Looking over to the state of Alabama, You've got Auburn, you've got Alabama, obviously. Uh, who has the better season this year? Boy, I said, you know, all summer when we were making our rankings and, you know, throughout this process of just trying to make picks, the two teams that have been sandwiched together for me, um, there's been two groups of that. I've always had Tennessee and Arkansas kind of sandwiched together. I've always had Alabama and Auburn sandwiched together. Um, and I don't know what order to put them in. Like, I, it's ultimately I put Alabama ahead of Auburn, but. I could flip that and not blink an eye because I just don't because I have my hesitations about Alabama and I'm probably more optimistic about Auburn than some people are. And so Alabama is just the defensive thing. And I know Alabama fans will get on me about this because I brought it up so much this summer, but I just, I need to see it before I'm just fully bought, bought in because that's the difference in Nate Oates elite teams that he's had there to the last three years. Yes, they've been good offensively, but the elite teams he's had have been, top five in the country defensively. And when you take out Miller, you take out Clowney, you take out Betty Ako, I have a hard time seeing this as the top five to top 25 defensive team probably um, in the country. And so offensively, sure, Mark Sears will score. You know, Grant Nelson comes in, he'll score. I know Grant Nelson was a good defensive player in the Summit League, but it's different in the SEC. You know, there's an adjustment process there. I think there will be an adjustment a little bit. Um you know, it's just the way it works in this league. Very physical, as you know. I mean, we get <laughs> fouls. The, the foul tweets go out every night, like because they're just they're going to be a lot of fouls, a lot of bumping. It's just how it works. And so, you know, it can be an adjustment for some guys. But Nelson will score. Alabama's going to be fine scoring wise. I just don't know what they look like defensively. Um, sure, we can overreact to them losing. What was it, eighty-eight to eighty or something to Wake Forest in the exhibition game? Um, so, like, I can immediately say, "See, look, they give up eighty-eight points." <laughs> it's like I, I'm not going to do that, but. Yes, like that's fair, I think, the question. They're still deep. They're still coached by Nate Oates, which means they will they will get a lot out of their guys. Um, but I just I want to see how it comes together defensively because they need to be a lead, I think, to be a, an SEC championship contender again because that's been the formula that's worked for them the past two times they've done it in the past three years. Auburn, they just got to shoot it better. And I think they'll shoot it a little bit better. Uh, they've, got, they could, they've got my preseason SEC player of the year pick, Jani Broom. I mean, he's the guy I'm picking to, to win the award. And Jalen Williams, really good. Katie Johnson's been there for 15 years. Like, I mean, it feels like at this point, Aiden Holloway comes in, Denver Jones comes in, Chad Baker-Mazar comes in. All those guys are going to help scoring-wise. 
And so I think they'll be better offensively because of that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm more optimistic and they're coached by Bruce Pearl. <laughs> like I just, I think Bruce gets, again, there, there have been some ups, there have been some downs and, you know, last season was not the season before, but Bruce usually pretty consistent in terms of what he gets from his guys. And I think this is a, an Auburn team that can take a step forward and be right back up there challenging for a league title. So, Blake, I want to ask you about my uh, preseason SEC uh, pick to win, win the SEC tournament and win the regular season. The Razorbacks of Arkansas, Eric Musselman, they got a great win over Purdue the other day at Bud Walton Arena. What are your expectations for the Hogs? Uh, is my expectations for the Hogs reasonable? It is. I mean, I, I think it absolutely is. Um, because, you know, a lot of people point out, well, you know, they were more talented last year and they went eight and 10 in the league. And my answer to that is very simple. Um, they were not experienced team last year. Their best player, expected best player, was injured most of the year, right? Um, with Nick Smith. And, you know, they were a very freshman led team outside of, you know, I mean, they, they put a lot on Anthony Black, you know, Nick Smith, that was kind of, they, they put their season on that and it just didn't pan out the way they needed it to. Um, and so I mean, you consider that Brazil's injury, we can't forget about that. I mean, that completely, you know, limited some of the things they could do, but this year Brazil's back, Devo's back. Nobody's played more minutes than Devo. I mean, he's been there again forever. He's played just ridiculous, um, his numbers in this league, but then they've, they've complimented it with a, an improved shooting unit, which I think they are going to be better shooting the ball. Uh, which have, they have to, 317th in the country last year in three-point percentage. Um, th- this is the deepest team Muss has had since he's been there. And I think that is a good thing to have because injuries happen, as we saw last year. Um, and the depth on this roster is really good. Like Chandler lost in place 30-something minutes in that exhibition game. I didn't think Ch- – I didn't know how, what – I thought he may be the seventh, eighth guy on the roster just because of how good the roster was. Like I said, I, I didn't know what his role would be. If he's playing that many minutes, my goodness, like they are loaded. And, you know, Khalif Battle looked good. They've got Davenport. You know, they've got some freshmen, you know, two talented freshmen coming in. Um, and so, yeah, you combine all that stuff together. Tremont Mark is one of – he's going to be one of my favorite players in the SEC, period. Like, he's just – he's a winner coming from Houston. When you play for Kelvin Sampson, you know what you have to do, and that guy's just a winner. And so, I love the way Eric Musman kind of pieced this roster together. And, yes, I think this is a team that um, – you know, is is going to compete for the league title. Like there, there's no question in my mind. And, and the only thing that could derail it is injuries. Like I mean, because they're again, I think they're just loaded from a talent standpoint. Like last two questions I have for you, kind of combine them into one because we're running out of time on Zoom here. What is the ceiling for Texas A&M and LSU this year? Yeah, I mean LSU. Look, if they had Jalen Cook, if he got the waiver, it'd be much higher without him. I mean, he's what they needed. He they need they were a team that just did not score the ball well last year. He was a proven scorer, um, so if he doesn't get the appeal, it's just uh, it's hard to see. Even with Jordan Wright added to the mix, I, you know, I'm a really big Jordan Wright fan, but it's just hard to see without that extra boost of scoring. I think that the Jalen Cook would bring, so they'll be better. You know, I think they'll win more than what two conference games, but they're probably a bottom four team still. Um, and so we'll, we'll see if that pans out that way. A and M, of course, has much higher expectations. Finished second in the league last year, came out of nowhere after a six and five start. And, yeah, I mean, they bring pretty much everybody back. Now, that was the theme before this whole Julius Marble thing, which we just don't know anything about right now. Um, You know, University Matter or whatever Buzz Williams deemed it to be. That's significant because, you know, when they had Julius Marble and 
Um, Henry Coleman in there both. I mean, that's that's a hard team to score against. And, uh, you know, so I think that's an issue if they don't have marble for an extended amount of time. But they get Wade Taylor back. It could be, pre- it could be player of the year in the league. Tyrese Radford's back. Um, they lose Dexter Dennis. That's a huge defensive loss. But, you know, they bring in a guy like Jace Carter from UIC. Got some other guys I think that'll take a step forward. So A&M should still be a top five team in the league. I don't think they're dropping off much just because of how much they bring back. But they may bring a little less back if Julius Marble's not good to go um, here because that's that's one that we definitely look at from one of the bigger storylines because that's just not one we expected to kind of have that that question. So uh, still, though, pretty pretty high ceiling for the Aggies. He is Blake Lovell. Blake, tell them where they can find all of your amazing work. Uh, you guys yep. do a heck of a job. I appreciate that, Mitch. Yeah, Southeastern 14, go to YouTube, find us there. Uh, all of our, you know, we start our daily SEC basketball grind next week. Videos going up every day. All of our football stuff's there. Baseball, of course. We'll have all that soon enough. And so, yeah, find us there. And you can follow me on Twitter at DeepLake. You have been listening to the Mitch Davis Show podcast. I've been your host, Mitch Davis, founder of the MitchDavisShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter, MitchDavis underscore eight. A very special thank you to Blake Lovell for joining me to talk all things Southeastern Conference basketball. Make sure you follow all of their work there at Southeastern 14. Again, I'm your host, Mitch Davis, founder of the MitchDavisShow.com, podcast host of the Mitch Davis Show. Follow me on Twitter, MitchDavis underscore eight. And again, thank you for tuning in to the Mitch Davis Show podcast.